Welcome to Child Neuro Chat. Let's demystify the medical world of child neurology together. Join Nurse Kim and Dr. Carrie Wilson, specialists in child neurology with the University of Utah Primary Children's Hospital. Welcome back to Child Neuro Chat. We are recording today's episode during Epilepsy Awareness Month, which is November. And we wanted to release some episodes this month about certain topics we think you should be aware of as they relate to epilepsy. So today's topic is comorbidities of epilepsy. Oh, more what? <laughs> I think we maybe we should put a halt on the medical term comorbidity and uh, define it a little bit. You were probably getting there. Sorry, I'm jumping. No, that's fair. It's a good question. Um, <laughs> it's probably not a word we... Uh, I mean, I don't use it in my everyday language. Yeah. Oh, really? Like at the grocery hmm. store, I'd be like, hey, how about that comorbidity? <laughs> it's not a common breakfast topic for your family either? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, Maybe your house. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. Let's talk about why it should be. So comorbidities are essentially, um, it's, it's kind of coming from the Latin roots, morbidity meaning a disease and co meaning going along with a disease. So comorbidities are conditions that occur during the course of another disease. Um, oh, all right. Sometimes in parallel, sometimes in cross, or are they yes. always in parallel? Okay. Well, I think we should talk about that in a little bit more detail in terms of, oh, perfect. you know, today we're talking about comorbidities of epilepsy. So conditions that occur, that can occur in people with epilepsy. Um, it is not a 100% guarantee that everyone will have all of these other conditions, um, and then the understanding of why, like, okay, so does that mean epilepsy causes them or they cause epilepsy and, mm -hmm. and it's complicated. Well, and I think that, um, just for the, those listening, Carrie does a really good job at kind of breaking down kind of some categories in which these, these comorbidities, if you will, kind of coexist or, or run in parallel or cross or whatever, you know, and, and she has some real fancy wording for all that. But I think that she does a really good word, good word, I can't talk. She does a really good job at um, defining those. Oh, thank you. Um, at least in, in an area where there's a lot of unknowns. Um, <laughs> Trying to approach hey, putting things in buckets wherever we can put them in is uh, at least some semblance of organization. <laughs> I like it. Um, so I, I think we should talk, or I'll just mention the top five comorbidities for pediatric patients with epilepsy, and then we can break that down a little bit more. Oh, perfect. Um, yeah, I like it. Talk about why that's important. So the top five okay. conditions that you should be aware of. Um, if your child or you are diagnosed with epilepsy, are intellectual disability, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, also referred to as ADHD, autism spectrum disorder, uh, mood disturbances, the most common of which are depression and anxiety, and migraine headaches. Perfect. And we'll uh, define those a little bit more detail as we yeah. continue. Yeah. Um, I think for me, the main question is, okay, so does epilepsy 
you know, does everyone with epilepsy have intellectual disability, ADHD, autism, depression, and migraine headaches? Yeah, that's like and, a heavy load, like. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, the answer is no. Not everybody with epilepsy will experience these comorbidities. It is most important that you are aware that those with epilepsy, at least in terms of data and trending, there is a higher number of people with epilepsy with one or some of these conditions. Versus just the normal population. Versus the general population. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I think in the adult literature, 50% um, of adults with epilepsy have at least one comorbid condition. So half of people with epilepsy. And their list is a lot longer, would you say, than the, than the five most frequent. Yes. Yeah. for our pediatric patients, so. Yes, it is. It doesn't mean they have one of the five we just mentioned. That just means they, they have an additional. Yeah, they have some group. other condition that um, might be seen more often in those with epilepsy, but that's where I think we should just briefly break down. Yeah, I think it's super helpful to break them down into your categories, yeah. Yeah, so. At least in my analytical brain, it does help. Yeah, the... There are, in, in research especially, there's sort of five different mechanisms of association. Um, in, I can link the article that broke this down so nicely on our social media page. But the five different mechanisms are chance or artifactual comorbidities, causative mechanisms, resultant mechanisms, shared risk factors, or bi-directional effects. So I'll break each one of those down. Ooh, so okay, chance, all right. Yeah, don't, don't hang up just <laughs> yet. Don't, <laughs> off. Yeah, don't leave so, us. <laughs> chance comorbidities mean true, true, and unrelated. So um, maybe you... Um, it just so happens to be chance that you Yeah, have. and some of that is based on data that... Um, is, is called like recall bias. So during a research study, the researchers will call all these adults with epilepsy and ask about their you know, past medical history. It's shown that those with epilepsy are more likely to report a prior mild head injury, like a, a mild concussion. Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't necessarily mean that that is what caused their epilepsy um, or that those with epilepsy are more likely to fall and have a head injury. That is thought, for example, to maybe be um, like true, true and unrelated. Um, but So not they had a head injury the and they have epilepsy. It just yeah. so happened to be chance that they had both. Yes. The, the next mechanism for these comorbidities is causative. That means, did one thing cause your epilepsy? Um, and I think and that it, this is the, 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 the area that I think we get asked about most in clinic is, well, what did I do during pregnancy? Or what did I do? Um, what did I feed my child? What did I do? What caused this epilepsy? So this is a yeah. big hot topic. I know It is. Know. And I think there's still a lot of unknowns, but there mm -hmm. are some that that are more obvious. For example, a traumatic head injury where you get um, blood on your brain and brain damage, or um, a stroke, also called a, you know, maybe like a cerebrovascular um, event, um, and that, that damages that part of the brain. And then as the tissue is trying to heal, it makes for abnormal electrical activity and results in seizures and ultimately epilepsy. So 
so for example, having a stroke that then causes epilepsy, that is a direct causal association. And you might list that, you know, stroke or cerebrovascular disease where your blood vessels are mm -hmm. normal yeah. um, could be a comorbidity. It, it is no a known comorbidity for those with epilepsy and it's thought to be because it can cause epilepsy another um gotcha. for but example, not everyone that's had a stroke can have epilepsy right um yeah. another thing to think about is these indirect causes and so for example the rate of smoking in adults with epilepsy is higher than the general population in some data mm -hmm that is thought to be an indirect causal association because smoking increases your risk, for example, for cancer or stroke, both of which can injure the brain and ultimately result in epilepsy. Ah, okay, almost like a domino effect. So when you say yeah. indirect, it can domino to the effect. Yes. Um, another comorbidity, um, so for example, in the adult population especially, but this also happens in pediatrics, um, there is a concern for increased risk of bone fractures or um, osteoporosis, osteopenia, where the bone- Oh, like we've mentioned in a previous podcast with women in epilepsy. Yeah, we've talked about how that's- Medications, known. yeah. Exactly, and so you already got to the point. So the resultant oh. mechanisms is this sort of indirect cause, again, where you, know, you have epilepsy, you take anti-seizure medication that decreases your bone density and therefore you have a higher risk of breaking a bone, having an osteopenic fracture because your bones mm. are weaker. Okay. So not everyone with epilepsy takes medications um, that decrease your bone density. So not everyone will have a bone fracture and it's not necessarily the seizure or the epilepsy, like the abnormal electrical activity in the brain that makes your bones weaker and you're more prone to fracture. It's the treatment. And so it's a result, uh, it's of, the result of the epilepsy that you then have um, the- Okay, so for, for instance, fracture. if my um, son had a seizure, and aspirated a little bit so he took um something into his lung um because of the seizure and having this full body convulsion um and it, it resulted in what we term in the medical term aspiration pneumonia that would be a result of the seizure not necessarily that because he has epilepsy because not everyone that has epilepsy has the type of seizure that would cause you to aspirate therefore resulting yeah. in pneumonia Okay. Right. Okay. But yeah, and so they had to look into this a little more because it was, you know, either based on medical chart review or family or patient reports mm. saying, oh, well, you know, my child has epilepsy or, you know, as an adult, I have epilepsy and I've been admitted three times for pneumonia. And so they looked into it and said, oh, it looks like, you know, maybe there's a higher risk of having aspiration pneumonia in those with epilepsy. And then of course the natural question is, well, why? And so that's another perfect example of a resultant mechanism where mm -hmm. you have a higher risk of this other condition as a result of your epilepsy. So you have like you said, if someone- Well, and then it can like partial down, right? So not all yeah. epilepsy types have the seizure type that results right. in what could be. So even, even in, the, in the population of epilepsy and you could have a comorbidity of a, of a resultant aspiration pneumonia, but mm -hmm. not all seizures qualify for that. So yeah, right. I can see right. where it can get more, far more like granule. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Ah! 
um, clear as mud. <laughs> so um, the next one is a shared risk factor. So there's some risk factor that increases the chance for someone having epilepsy as well as this other condition or a comorbidity. Um, a, an easier one to think about is if a, a newborn has hypoxic ischemic injury um, or hypoxic ischemic so vomit, low, which uh, is low oxygen to the brain during birth. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. For some reason around, you know, perinatal, around the time that they're born, they have decreased blood flow or decreased oxygenation to their brain um, that results in brain injury. That increases your risk both for epilepsy and for cerebral palsy. Mm. Um, and and so, not all of them can have both and sometimes they can have one right. or the other. Or right. or neither. Or um, neither. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. all right. And so this is probably um, where genetic plays a role too, right? Like you can have a risk factor if you have a specific genetic diagnosis, maybe that Yeah. Yeah. Um a common genetic abnormality that's reported in the literature is SCN1A, especially with- Oh, we talked syndrome. about that in our genetic, yeah, in our genetic mm -hmm. podcast. <laughs> so that can increase your risk for epilepsy, but many with that genetic condition also have a gait disorder, for example, where they, oh. um, their walk is different um, than- Okay, than and they can have, same thing, they can have either or, or a combo. Mm -hmm. Yes, okay. yes. Um, so, so that's a shared risk factor where one thing increases your risk for, uh, multiple. I think another common one, for example, is a traumatic brain injury might increase your risk for epilepsy as well as perhaps headaches. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, another one is the final mechanism of these comorbidities is so the fifth one, right? Yep, the fifth five. one yeah. okay. is bi-directional, meaning they both contribute to each other. So okay. epilepsy might, you know, increase the risk or severity of a condition and the condition might increase um, the presence or severity of your seizures. Oh, it's kind of like the chicken and the egg. Yeah. <laughs> Which one is first? <laughs> yes. Um, so for example, the, the majority of conditions that are reported as comorbidities for kids. Um, okay. And so- That are bi-directional, meaning one exists without the other, but can um, but aid and impact each other. other. Yeah, mm -hmm. impact, that's the word, good job. Yeah, so, so as I said, the, five, the top five, and by all means, these are not the only comorbidities of pediatric epilepsy, no. but the top the five- most common. Intellectual disability, ADHD, autism, mood disturbances like depression or anxiety, and migraine headaches. If you think about it, someone who has um, intellectual disability, they might, um, that might present as worse memory or um, difficulty problem solving, which could result in it being harder for them to remember to take their medications reliably, which can then worsen their seizures. But uh, then, if they which have then becomes almost seizures, a risk. And yeah. a causative, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. that might worsen memory. So sometimes it's a cycle or a snowballing effect. Absolutely, um, yeah. But I think it's- So globally speaking, when you mean intellectual disability, it just maybe sometimes it can be a spectrum of like just cognitive or, or, or memory fog versus mm -hmm. um, true like inability to maybe speak or something. Is that kind of the, 
realm yeah. maybe. Yeah, that's it. That's important to note that, um, you know, these comorbidities uh, can also present in different ways for different people. So intellectual disability, as you said, is a, a broad spectrum of perhaps a more subtle learning difficulty in an otherwise almost neurotypical person. It can also um, mean that they are so developmentally impaired that they can't perform their activities of daily living on their own and they need support okay, for okay. eating and going to the bathroom and um you know so some so subtle that you wouldn't even know that someone in in a class setting would have epilepsy because they're performing at grade level, grade level. or above or mm -hmm. whatever um to those that um, are a little bit more um visibly uh notable for maybe their cognition or their delay yeah, yeah. And we talked about in a previous episode that most children with epilepsy do not have intellectual disability. Mm -hmm. um, but it is a somewhat higher risk compared to the general population and therefore it's listed as a comorbidity mm -hmm. that you should be aware of. And be aware of, absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's okay, it's okay to, to know what maybe is causing a struggle. Yeah, and I think that's the most important thing that I want our listeners to take away from today's topic is being aware of these top comorbidities, especially for children with epilepsy, because um, there's lots of tools and resources. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, they're, they're, they they're really important to a child's daily functioning, in some sense, as important as seizure control. And, mm -hmm. and then the reason I think it's important to break down that not all of these comorbidities are due to uncontrolled seizures or brain okay. damage from okay. a seizure or something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's that they're, they might be, um, they might have a brain that has increased risk for both seizures and these other things. And even when we have really good seizure control, these other uh, comorbidities. So these other conditions might still be a problem. So even if we have, if you're seizure free, you might still okay. have anxiety. Okay. And, mm -hmm. and so you shouldn't ignore the anxiety and just say, well, we just need to get the seizures under better control, you know, or it's just the medication for them. Well, I still think it's really important to address either with your neurologist, your primary care doctor, your family, um, addressing these other comorbidities and treating them as really important conditions that can improve quality of life as well. So getting treatment for anxiety, managing your migraines, um, getting therapies and support for autism or whatever cognitive learning difficulties you or your child might have, um, you know, addressing ADHD because a lot of people think well, it's probably just that they're having seizures and that's why they can't pay attention in school. Which- Or the medicine's making them not be, yeah, like there's other yeah. things that, which right. can be low hanging fruit, but at the same point, there's so many resources that are out there, like you mentioned. Um, even I, I looked down our, our, our top five there and, and there are specific clinics for those, right? Like we mm -hmm. brought up migraine before um, in a, a, a previous podcast, um, and there are specific specialists in these five areas that do help and um, create um, a bank of resources that not just yes. only come from our epilepsy neurology world, but these other. Right. And I think it's hard. I, I feel like a lot of times when I'm talking with parents and patients, especially at the beginning of epilepsy 
of their epilepsy journey. So when I'm first diagnosing a child with epilepsy, there are so many fears and unknowns and questions, mm -hmm. you know, uh, about the medication and how it's taken and looking for side effects and what does this mean for my child? And I, you know, we're almost in like a crisis mode conversation. Sure. Um, yeah. And and then maybe, you know, they come back a year later, we finally have seizures under control, hopefully sooner than that. Um, <laughs> and, and we, and, you know, I was saying, how are things going? Oh, no seizures. That's great. But they mentioned these difficulties in school or these headaches come up. And when I say, oh, there's a higher risk of, you know, migraine headaches or ADHD in children with epilepsy, they seem so surprised. And I feel so mm. guilty that I haven't done my job to oh, accurately yeah. make them aware of that and be able to address those other issues that are equally important head on. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's maybe where this podcast is coming from. Yeah, and I think that you hit it uh, nail on the head there. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head because I think as 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 a parent of someone that had epilepsy, excuse me, it didn't um, dawn on me these other maybe things to be a, a mindful of because I was so focused on uh, helping my son control what was happening to him. Right, the seizure piece of it. Mm -hmm. um, that I, I luckily um, I had some wonderful resources that were able to kind of navigate the rest of that um, terrain, if you will, when it comes with epilepsy, and, and kind of give me a little heightened sense as a parent to what some of these other things were, and um, and some of them we didn't necessarily we didn't run into, right? Like we we yeah. kind of were able to skip over, if you will. Um, but being mindful of them as a as a parent and caregiver for someone with epilepsy, it helped because I could decipher what was maybe seizure behavior or seizure emotion or seizure, you know, medication driven versus what was him or what was the individual yeah. with some other things that could yeah. be aware of. So um, I think yeah, also I, having um, the validation of, Ooh, of yeah. these other conditions, Huge. because I have a lot of families that you can almost see their shoulders drop in, in <laughs> relaxation when they're like, yeah. Oh, and I don't know if it's a release that, you know, they're struggling, the child is struggling in school. And so releasing them to say, don't worry, it's not, you know, because you're a bad parent that they're not doing well in school, or it's not just the epilepsy, or yes, we've gotten control. So I think it's just validation that these other conditions exist, opening up that conversation to make people aware so that they can get the support that they need. Um, I'm going to 100% uh, agree with that, uh, uh, the, the ability to feel that burden of relief um, off of the parent's shoulders. Um, and I think that hopefully, like we said, that this podcast allows that to, to give some, it's okay to look outside of a seizure for some other things that your child may be experiencing. It's yeah. okay. We give you permission. And as, yeah. Especially in those who we are having a really hard time controlling seizures, um, you know, if we're trying a third medication or talking about epilepsy surgery for the one third of patients that <laughs> yeah. don't have easy to control seizures, I think it also might be a place to, to add in some parental control um, or, or oh, good point. control, right? Like, okay, well, I'll let my neurologist, you know, keep trying to figure <laughs> out how to control my seizures. But in the meantime, I'm going to optimize these other things and I'm going to work on decreasing my headaches where I can, or yeah, I'm going to get yeah. therapy for my depression, um, you know, and, and, or I'm going to take a medicine for ADHD so that, 
even if I have a seizure, at least the other parts of the day, maybe my attention is improved at school. Yeah, maybe controlling some things that you feel like you can control. Yeah, yeah, good point. I really appreciate that. Yeah. So to review the comorbidities of pediatric epilepsy, which are conditions that um, may occur at a higher rate in children with epilepsy are intellectual disability, ADHD, autism, mood disturbances, especially depression and anxiety, and migraine headaches. Spread the word, be more aware, and ask for help. Um, so we will post some resources on our social media page, but um, yeah, reach out if you have any questions or any thoughts. Um, we had discussed possibly further down the road, maybe investigating some of the resources that we've mentioned here in further depth um, later on in different podcasts. So be aware those will be coming. Good idea. In the meantime, thanks, thanks for, the, for chat. the chat. Information on this podcast is intended for general education and discussion and does not replace medical advice from your own healthcare professional. Opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect that of the University of Utah or Intermountain Healthcare. Visit us online or follow us on social media for more information. Child NeuroChat is recorded in the audio studio of the Marriott Library at the University of Utah with editing and mixing services provided by Robert J. Nelson. <laughs>